try to just catch you up a little bit up to speed about the tribulation and where we're at. And so here's a couple review things for you. We started out the tribulation lesson is what makes the seven-year tribulation different from other tribulation. Jesus said that there was going to be a tribulation, a great tribulation, like that the world has never seen before. But he also said, he said, in the world you're going to have tribulation. And so there was a, a difference in specificity between this great tribulation that's coming down the road and tribulation that we all face in life, hard time, death, disease, you know, even famine in this life and family issues, you name it, suffering, pain. There's tribulation. But what makes the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation, different? Does anybody remember? There was two, two reasons that I gave that separates it from normal tribulation. Anybody at all? Ooh, worldwide. Good job. It's going to be worldwide. And when there's an earthquake that happens or a typhoon that happens, you know, it happens in one part of the world. But when the tribulation comes, it's going to encompass all parts of the world. And, and yes, there are going to be targeted areas, but the whole world is going to be in travail and going to be going through, I mean, a lot more than a COVID pandemic. That kind of gives you a glimpse. It's pretty worldwide. Mostly, maybe maybe there were some small geographical places around the world that weren't really affected by it. But generally, that kind of maybe give us a little glimpse about what it will be like. I mean, almost anywhere in the world you go today, people are, we're reading about our missionaries and the COVID pandemic going on there. That's how the tribulation is going to be, except it's not going to be as light as COVID. I mean, that'd be easy compared to some of the things that are going to come. The other reason, anybody remember the other reason? No, that's that's good. That's good. The difference between seven-year tribulation and the tri just regular tribulation that we face. Well, I'll give it to you. The way humans behave, they're going to act totally different. Now there's a lot of talk about the end of the world and that the world's coming to an end. The sky's falling. People talk about it. They are trying to push. The left is trying to push this the Green New Deal because we got to save the earth. It's going to, you know, 12 years, it's going to burn up and the oceans are going to rise or whatever, whatever's going to happen. You hear about it. And there's talk about it, but really people aren't acting as if the end of the world is, is here. I mean, do they, I mean, are people generally every, do you, do you know people who are stocking up food and building shelters and digging holes in the ground to bury supplies and goods? There's a couple of them. Yeah, Mormons. Yeah. But generally people aren't. But when the tribulation happens, people are going to act different. There's going to be worldwide terror. We see that people are going to be even seeking death. It's going to be so bad. And so when in the book of Thessalonians, maybe a few other places, it indicates where believers are wondering about the tribulation because of severe persecution that they were facing. They were wondering if it was a tribulation. It's just not the case because that was a localized type of event. And it's something that's going to affect mankind. And there's a few reasons for the tribulation. There's many reasons, but a couple of them, the main ones, to prepare Israel for the coming of Jesus, the second coming, and also to judge people on the earth and wickedness on the earth. And God has been merciful to mankind. Nobody's going to be able to point the finger back at God and say he didn't give mankind a chance. Just like in the days of Noah, mankind had many, many, many years to repent, but they didn't. And you could name scenario after scenario in the Bible the same thing where God's mercy extended far, but it's all going to be coming to a close during the tribulation period. 
So when does the tribulation begin? Daniel 9.27 says, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the one week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even un until the con consummation and that determined shall be poured out upon the desolation. It's going to start. 927 is the place. The man of sin, the Antichrist, he is going to make a covenant. And there's going to be peace. There's going to be peace on the earth, but it's a false peace. It is a play at power, we would say. And for a temporary time, there is going to be some, some idea that there is going to be peace on the earth and that nations are getting along, but that is not the case. Lord willing, we'll have time to get into it enough tonight. We can show you why that that is not the case. So here's some review of the judgments of the tribulation that we went through. Uh, the 6 through 19 of Revelation talks about tribulation in detail three series of judgments the first one we went over last week was the seal judgments and the second one was the blowing of the seven trumpets and the pouring out of the seven bowls each of these we see in revelation are administered by angels are carrying out the will of god throughout that and so the seven seals that we went over just for review i'm just going to scan through them very quickly is the movement for peace on the earth is the first one the movement for peace we see they give a picture, John gives a picture of a, a white horse, a man on a white horse, and that is going to offer peace, but the peace is going to be removed, and wars are going to begin to engulf the world, engulf the earth, and the horse that represents that is the red horse, then we have famine, then we have death, of course, fourth part of the earth, it's a lot. Believers are going to be persecuted and martyred. For their faith and the antichrist is going to hold no punches with that whatsoever and universal havoc there's going to be a great earthquake sun's going to be dark and the moon is going to be red like blood a meteor shower heaven will be opened and every mountain and island is going to be moved and so these things they sound just from scanning through them they sound like okay famine okay wars okay death that's big that's death. persecution of believers for their faith but these are some serious major things. Famine, I mean, people aren't going to be able to feed their children. There's going to be people starving to death, and it's going to be a direct act of God's judgment. It's not going to be, I believe, a political thing where, I mean, I'm sure people will try to point the finger at government and everything, but it's going to be so directed that they are going to know that it comes from God, and he's going to be trying to get people's attention, and people are going to be suffering greatly. And the seventh one is silence in heaven. So moving on to some new things. We finished up the seal judgments last time. And of course, we have the seven trumpet judgments. And then we have the bold judgments that follow after that. But I want to take a break and talk about some other things. I thought it'd be a little overwhelming to go through, you know, all of the judgments just in order. So I figured while we're talking about it throughout all this, there are some major world events outside of the judgments that are going to be happening on the earth and having to do with the beast and the false prophet. And so we're going to go over a few of those this evening. We have the man of sin, which is going to be uh, the Antichrist, referred to as the beast too. He is going to conquer Egypt. Egypt right now doesn't seem like much of a superpower. Back in the 
Bible times it was. It was a force to be reckoned with, especially because of its geological position. And there was a desert on one side. No nation is going to try to cross a desert desert to, to come and conquer Egypt. And then the other, the other thing was the Nile River. And so they had very good protection. They became, became very great. They're going to rise to power once again, as Daniel uh, prophesies in chapter 11. But he is going to, the Antichrist is going to conquer him. Of course, he's going to have an allegiance of nations with him. That's going to happen. After that, this is about the three and a half year mark, somewhere around there. Russia is going to be supernaturally defeated by God's intervention. What's going to happen is Russia is going to make a move. This is referred to as Gog and Magog is going to make a move on the land of Israel. And it's going to look hopeless for Israel. Of course, we know that the Antichrist has a treaty and has a covenant with Israel. And so we assume, I assume, and I could be wrong, but I assume from all the research I've done that they're going to be kind of involved in this as well. And Russia, Gog, which we which we know to be the sons of Japheth from Noah, moved up north out of Palestine and settled in the regions of Turkey and all that up in that area. So definitely the descendants of them, they're going to come down, try to conquer Russia, and they're really going to put the heat on them. And it's not going to look good for Israel, but God is going to supernaturally defeat them. And we see here in verse uh, 20, uh, 21 through 22 of Ezekiel 38, and it says, And I will call for a sword against him throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord God, every man's sword shall be against his brother, and I will plead against him with a pestilence and with blood, and I will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him, an overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Those are some pretty serious things that God is going to uh, inject into, switching my notes here. He, that God is going to inject into the scene, and it's going to cause Gog and Magog to be severely hurt, so much so, I think I have on this, no, I don't have it on this one, so much so that it's going to take, eh, just ignore that for now, <laughs> so much so that it's going to take them seven months to bury all the dead, and that's how many people are going to die from this army, and so as Russia is defeated, it's going to look pretty good for the Antichrist because that takes a big that takes a big enemy away from him and allows him really paves paves the way. And God knows all the events that are taking place. He knows that by the destruction of Russia, it's going to pave the way for the Antichrist to take more power. And he's going to take a hold of the power play. And God knows that. But and he allows it to happen. And God's deliverance from Israel. It's going to pave the way for the program of the Antichrist. And so during after this, we see the slaying of the two witnesses. And these two witnesses, they have the power to kill their enemies with fire, to prevent rain, to turn water into blood, and to bring plagues upon the earth. They're going to be invincible for three and a half years until their message is complete and their work is finished. We can see that in Revelation 11, 7. And who are these two witnesses? Well, one is believed to be Elijah because Malachi 4, the prophet says that God's speaking, that he's going to send Elijah. And so it's assumed that it's Elijah that is going to be one of them. And the other one, most people suggest that it's Moses, partially because both of those people appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. 
Another one is because Elijah called down fire from heaven, and that's one of their tools that they get to use. The other one is turn the waters into blood. Who did that? Moses with God's power, of course. So let's assume some, some other folks believe it may be Enoch, and that because Elijah and Enoch were the only two people that didn't have a physical death on this earth. So that's all good, good thinking. But they're going to be going out and they're going to be preaching and the Antichrist, he is going to be spewing his false doctrine and trying to convince the world that he's the greatest thing ever. But of course, these two prophets, they're not, there's nobody that is going to be able to stand a chance against them. When somebody tries to come and overthrow them, I mean, fire is going to come out of their mouth and destroy them, devour them and crazy things. I, I don't understand how all that's going to happen. I just believe what the Bible says. And they are literally going to be invincible for three and a half years. And people all around the world are going to be looking for these two men to, to die. They're going to be looking for it, waiting for it. But no matter what happens, they're not able to kill these two individuals. And, of course, they're going out preaching and testifying, I believe. And people are getting saved. And But after three and a half years, after three and a half years, Revelation um, 7, I'm actually gonna I'm actually going to read that for you. Real interesting. Revelation 11, verse 7. And it says here, And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall, and shall overcome them and kill them. What I find interesting about that is that they were invincible until they were done with their work. Isn't that pretty encouraging? that they were absolutely 100% bulletproof until their work was over. I believe that that's not just true for these two witnesses. I believe that that's true for you and me as believers who are about the will of the Lord. And God may call some of you in here to maybe be missionaries, to do something crazy, go over to some foreign country. And you say, well, man, I'm worried about that. I wonder if God's going to protect me. Or you may be even ner nervous about doing something like going out to door to door and showing up to strange people's house and wondering if, you know, some person's going to grab you up and take you inside and do horrible things to you. Let me just say, when you're in the will of God, you are bulletproof. You are absolutely bulletproof. And so I just thought that that was super encouraging. And so uh, we see they did die. They were martyred. But however, that was the will of God that that would happen. And so we see that once these are killed at the hand of the Antichrist, it is going to be a big relief for the world. They are not going to take the bodies of these two witnesses, and they are not going to bury them in a grave. They're not going to have ceremonies for them. It's actually going to be the opposite. They don't want to put them in the ground. They are literally going to parade them in Jerusalem, leave them out of the ground. The world is going to rejoice that these two people have died. That's pretty, they must have really ruffled some feathers. And they're going to display them as some sort of great victory. And the only time during the tribulation where you see men on earth rejoicing and happy is when this happens. Let me read it for you. And it says, And their bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. And, the, and they of the people and the kindreds and the tongues and the nations shall, shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts 
to one another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. There's going to be gift givings. They're going to be making this like a holiday, a worldwide holiday, because it is going to be that big of a deal. And so as soon as they think that they've squashed the plans of God, three and a half days goes by, and we see that in verse uh, number 11, after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood on their feet, and a great fear fell upon them which saw them, and they heard a great voice from saying unto, unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. Whoa. I assume that this is going to be all over the news, that they're going to be showing pictures of this. I mean, unless some sort of cataclysmic event happens and all the technology is gone. But I assume this is going to be Facebook Live. Facebook's still around. Whatever live stream it is, it's going to be on all the news stations. Newspapers are going to be a thing of the past, right? Some of you still read those. But there's going to be people viewing this event that happens and thinking that the victory is over, and then all of a sudden these two people are going to rise to life. Whoa. The Antichrist, is, I believe, is going to be surprised, surprised that this happens, because now what does he do? Those, he had the victory, and we see that they rise up, and of course they ascend back up to heaven. Around that same time, oh, right after that happens, a tenth of the city is destroyed by an earthquake, and 7,000 men die. 7,000 men die. And when it says 7,000 men, is it possible that 7,000 men did die? What about women? What about children? I'm not sure. Take that how you will, but there possibly could be a lot more people that died from that. We take that same kind of analogy when we do the feeding of the 5,000 and talk about you know how many men were there, but interesting. And also, we've seen that the 144,000 of the 12 tribes of Israel they are going out, they're sealed of God, and they've been going out preaching. And sometime around this as well, they're going to be killed. I think we see them in Revelation 14, I believe, around the throne room of God. So throughout that sometime, the beast takes them out as well. Tell me why it's doing that. Let me see if I miss my other one. Did I have one before that, Timothy? Okay. Hopefully it doesn't go through. Okay, we're good. Maybe I clicked it twice. So the beast then is going to demand worship. Russia's eliminated, as we mentioned earlier, out of the picture. That just paves away. He can do what he wants to do. He's not going to be faced with much resistance. There will be some, but not much. And that's when the Antichrist breaks a covenant with Israel. Thessalonians 2, 4, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And so the Jewish people, they, are, they would have rebuilt the temple because of the peace that has happened. They're going to be going to offer sacrifices like they've been waiting to do for thousands of years. And when that happens, the, the Antichrist is going to step up into the temple of God and declare himself to be God. Reminds us back to when the devil was in Lucifer. The devil was in heaven, and he says, I'm going to exalt myself above God. And so here's kind of his chance to do that. And he goes for it, and he does it. And with that, there's a lot of havoc that happens to believers that are on the earth. By the way, I thought the believers were out of here because of the rapture. I mentioned this before, but 
it's worth saying for maybe a few folks who weren't here, is there's going to be there's going to be Bibles, there's going to be books, there's going to be a lot of information that's out there, and there's not going to be everybody that buys into the lie of the beast. And so, again, here he is, and they're going to be saved, of course, and we got the two witnesses. We got the 144,000 are going out preaching as well. So there's going to be a witness for sure, and there's going to be multitudes of people who are saved. So the beast is demanding worship. Antichrist, he's empowered by Satan. He's the first beast that we see. The Antichrist um, will, is, will experience a wound unto death. And that same kind of phraseology is used earlier in the book of Revelation when it talks about Jesus Christ uh, dying. And when Jesus Christ died, he really died. It wasn't something that he just was wounded and he laid in a grave for three days and got better. And I don't believe that the Antichrist is going to just be wounded real bad and be in the ICU for a few days. I think he's going to be killed, and supernaturally he's going to be raised back to life. And his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. This is going to cause them to want to worship him. They're going to be say, none, there's no one out there that's like unto this individual. And it's going to cause them to worship him. And his program includes war, blasphemy, and war with the saints. However, his program is limited to 42 months, which is three and a half years. Of course, that's ending with the second coming of Christ. We'll go through a few more things. We've got about five minutes, and we'll be finished. A second beast appears. This is the false prophet here. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. His power is great, but he only promotes the Antichrist. He does a lot of things that the Antichrist can do as well. What I find interesting is that this is often what's referred to as the unholy trinity. The devil, the beast, the false prophet. Don't you think that's kind of a play on God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? The devil knows what he's doing. He's not dumb. What do you think the, the gay pride flag is about? That it's a rainbow. Do you think that that was coincidence? No, absolutely not. It was not coincidence. It was the evil one of this world taking something good and holy and trying to twist it and turn it into something evil. And that's exactly what's happening here is he's having a play on God, and he's the devil, the beast, and the false prophet. What I find interesting about this false prophet is that he is going around. He's not promoting himself, although he has great power. Just as much as the Antichrist, what he's doing is he's taking people and he's pointing them to who? The Antichrist, so that the Antichrist gets worship. It's the exact same thing that the Holy Spirit is doing right now. Jesus said in John chapter 16, he says uh, that when the comforters come, he's not, going to, he's not going to speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and that the Holy Spirit is pointing people to Jesus Christ. That's why we don't worship the Holy Spirit just like we worship Jesus Christ. We're thankful for the Holy Spirit, and we thank God for it, but we're not. The Holy Spirit's job is to point people to Jesus Christ. This false prophet is going to be doing the same thing, but in an evil way, and he's going to be pointing people to the Antichrist for worship. So there's some thing that, things that he's going to do. He causes fire to come down from heaven. What I find is interesting is that the two, the two witnesses... They cause fire to come down and devour people. And now the false prophet is doing the same thing that they did. I guarantee you it's not as great. 
I almost guarantee that. This brings my mind back to Moses when he was standing before Pharaoh, and Mo- Moses took his staff and he cast it down and turned into, a, t- turned into a serpent. And then the magicians, they did the same thing. See, the devil's just trying to copy what God does. And the magicians, they cast their staffs down and they turned into serpents. I believe that that actually happened. But I do know that, that Moses' serpent ate up theirs. And so it's the same type of thing, and it's, it's interesting to see the similarities uh, in Scripture. And so he orders an image to be made and to be worshipped. And, of course, we know that he makes this image come to life. And I think I have that on. He makes the image come alive, gives breath to it. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Some people think that this may be robotics. It may be just a big trick. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so compared to what the other supernatural things that they've been doing. And either way, this is going to be an image of the beast, and people are going to be made to worship it. And people are going to take the mark either in their hand or in their forehead. This is not the COVID vaccine. How many of you have heard that? Just about everybody. Oh, the co-vaccine is a mark of the beast. No, no, absolutely not. And the mark of the beast is going to be more of a willingly, willingly thing. It's going to be something people are going to voluntarily take. It's not going to be something that you don't know you're going to get. And it's going to be a pledge of allegiance to the beast and the false prophet and to their motives on the earth. And I kind of lost my connection on my iPad, but, well, we're not going to get into that because we're out of time. Anyways, let me just go back to the, to, the, to the mark of the beast. And so people are going to be able to take it in their head or in their forehead. Why in either place? I don't know. One Bible commentator thought that maybe the hand was for people who weren't as, who weren't as gung-ho and weren't as idolized by the beast's agenda. and it's something that you could hide. You could put something over. People didn't know. I don't know. In the head, is it going to be visible? Is it going to be a chip? I'm not sure. I know it has to do with the number 666. And it's definitely going to be something people are going to take by choice. And they're going to either choose, really, between the temporal things or the internal things. Because Revelation says that you know anybody who took the mark of the beast, their name was never, never written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So they were destined for an eternity in the lake of fire by taking that mark, which is huge. They're not going to be able to buy. They're not going to be able to sell. And even the way you see that things that are going on in the world today and how money is becoming all on a credit card and digital, and they have stores now. I think Amazon has a few stores in Los Angeles. I think some in New York City where they have convenience stores where you can go in. You can put your items in a shopping cart, and there's nobody really working there except people that are stocking shelves. There's no cashier. You take your cart, and you walk through the door. It automatically charges your account. It knows exactly what you have in your cart one way or another. Crazy. So it's all being set up. I mean, we can see the hand. Maybe 200 years ago, we couldn't have, it wouldn't have seemed feasible, but now it is seeming feasible today. And so I'm glad that. I'm not going to be around to that. 
And, you know, God is just. It may seem like him causing these judgments, and it's, it's easy to think, how could a just God do that? He knows something more about sin than I do. That's what we got to understand. He knows something more about sin, and he sees sin for what it truly is, and he sees the hearts of man, and we just got to trust him that he knows best. And so next week, we'll go over, if I happen to be in here, we'll go over the trumpets. Oh, VBS! So we'll postpone a couple weeks, but we'll go over the trumpets, we'll go over the bowl judgments, and then we'll wrap up with the tribulation period, what happens right at the close of that with the Battle of Armageddon. And I hope it helps you, gives you a clearer picture. Great materials on these, by the way. Can't can't uh, promote them enough. And if you like some more in-depth information on this, there definitely is things out there for you that I'd love to give to you. So let's pray, and then we'll move into our prayer time. Lord, thank you for these few minutes that we've had to look into the tribulation period. And it's hard to kind of piece together what's all going to happen and uh, we know your word is plain and clear, and some of the things they seem, you know, impossibilities and whatnot, but may, may we just have faith and trust your word that what you say is going to happen in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239 947 one two eight five. Thank you and God bless.